Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, March 5th, 2023. The Sheer ID numbers for Friday, March 3rd are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,017. That's 20017. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,018. That's 20018. This morning, A Vision for You presents Finding a Spiritual Basis of Life. The Big Book teaches that to get over drinking or for us, compulsive overeating, will require a transformation of thought and attitude, a new way of life. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, are a group of of principles, spiritual in their nature, which represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a deep and lasting personal transformation. Recovery from compulsive overeating requires revolutionary and drastic proposals. We are going to make a decision and take some actions that will lead us to the realm of the spirit. The most basic premise of the 12-step program is that spiritual consciousness attained by taking prescribed actions has a sufficiently powerful effect on the human mind and spirit to bring about the kind of radical personality shift necessary to expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. In other words, the 12 steps can keep us as compulsive overeaters abstinent and happy. The 12 steps help people get better by teaching them how to find and live on a spiritual basis. Joining us today to elaborate on this very topic of finding a spiritual basis of life is Terry C., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Terry is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, devoted to carrying the message of recovery. And it's with great appreciation that I welcome Terry C. to the line this morning. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Leah. Can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to everybody. Thanks for this opportunity. I am an abstinent and happy compulsive overeater, and I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Um, I think we are going to look at this text, because I think this text really is the outline for everything that I feel guided to talk about today. So I want to direct everybody first to page 44 and talk about this very topic, finding a spiritual basis of life. Um, I'm going to weave into the story. Uh, The book says we must 
we must find a spiritual basis of life. And I think we must, and I think it's about how we still must. It doesn't matter where we are in this program. If you have three days, three years, or 30 years, the must applies to all of us. And I, I have a, a strong conviction to that. So let's dig into the book and let me try to um, kind of give you some of my experience with this, both as a compulsive overeater who this week uh, marks 30 years that my alcoholic foods have been down. Um, and that's not a uh, that's not a milestone as much as it is a reminder that I need to find a spiritual basis of life today more than I did 30 years ago. Um, so let's let's crack the book open as we say and uh, see how we can reflect on life as it is today and life as it always will be and life as it was before. Um, it says in the preceding chapters. We've learned something about our compulsive overeating. We've learned about that powerlessness. We've learned about that physical craving and mental obsession. We hope we've made clear the distinction between the compulsive overeater and the non-compulsive overeater. And here's the distinction. If when we honestly wanted to, we found we couldn't quit entirely, or if when compulsive overeating, we have little control over the amount we eat, we're probably compulsive overeaters, and I passed that test with flying colors. I was a five one and a half, over 220 pounds, and I was telling a therapist that my life was perfect if I could just lose a little weight. And the truth was that my life wasn't perfect, and I was trying to fix it by playing God. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. So. Um, I just want to check my time so that I can, okay, great. Um, so if that be the case, which it was for me, if it, I was definitely a compulsive overreader, but, but I've spent many years in this book or many years before not being in this book, not really understanding the true nature of my disease. See, I, I approached this disease much like I told the therapist, that it was something of a physical nature. It was about weight. It was about body size. It was about weight loss. And I came into these rooms not understanding that people were telling me that that wasn't what it was. These steps tell me that's not what it is. I didn't really understand the spiritual malady. And I really wasn't introduced to those words until I got into this book and even now, uh, it's still a study for me. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Well, if I had only listened to those words, I might have understood it, and I certainly don't want to knock my past or anybody else's. I really feel like everything that happened to me in the last 30-some years was meant to happen for me to get here. I would have liked to have preferred to have gotten to some of it sooner, but that's not the way it was supposed to go. And I look at that word suffering, suffering. Uh, a good friend of mine in the program says, pain is inevitable, but suffering is an option. And if I'd really thought about 
the kind of, you know, rationale that was happening. I was choosing compulsive overeating as a way of life versus another way of life, which today I know includes neutrality around food. If I really had any inkling that a decision could have changed that, I would have done it. But I stayed in the suffering. And if there are any newcomers out there and they're identifying with the word suffering, there is a way out. There is a way out. The one who feels he is atheist or she is atheist or agnostic, essentially experience seems impossible, but to continue means disaster, especially if you were like I was, a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. I really came in here knowing it was the last stop I had tried. I wasn't a, I wasn't a um, consummate dieter. I wasn't a person who um, tried everything. I tried some things. And I resolved myself, I was resolved to the fact that I enjoyed food. And maybe that's how it was going to be for me. However, I knew that my life was spinning out of control. I didn't know why exactly at the time, but I knew it was spinning out of control. And I knew I was doing everything not for that not to happen, and yet it was still happening. And most of all, I knew a phrase that's used in the book, but I couldn't pin it at the time. I knew that I was suffering from incomprehensible demoralization. I, want, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of doing this. I want to stop. But the worst part of that is, as bad as I want it, I can't stop. And then that's where these words come to life for me. To be doomed. I was doomed to a compulsive overeater's death, spiritually, physically, emotionally. I was doomed. Or to live on a spiritual basis are not always alternatives to faith. So let me talk about what's really become apparent for me in the book that I acknowledge as the truth and somewhat of a, and often a frustration. The book often presents us two choices. It never, it always presents us two choices. It never presents us more than two choices. There's so many places in the book. If you go to page 25, which I just know it so well, I can go on blotting out the consciousness of any intolerable situation or accept spiritual help. Now, when you look at that at face value, why would anyone want to choose the former and not the latter? However, when you're 220 pounds or more, actually, and you come in here and all you think of is that you have an eating problem, it's hard to see that you have a God problem. It's very hard to see the God problem that you have is your life is spinning out of control because you're playing God and it's not working. It's not working. And that to me is how I was doomed. I was doomed and the book is really simple because it's saying go on living the basis of life where you're playing God and it's not working or go on and try to choose the way of life where God's in charge and it could work. And those choices in the book are always the same. They're always those two choices. God is everything or God is nothing. And we're going to get to that actual test. But it isn't so difficult. Half of us are exactly that type. 
Some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we weren't these true compulsive readers. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. I mean, that's like a threat to me. Or else doesn't sound very good. Or else was pretty much going on the way I was living where I knew the wheels were going to come off. I, they were coming off. They were coming off. Um, and, you know, the choices, God or not God, spiritual basis of life or else, doomed to an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis. We're going to talk about a few more of the choices. In fact, the book talks about the non-spiritual basis. On page 34, it says, you know, on that basis, uh, it says, uh, let me just go to that page. Whether such a person can quit, quit compulsive overeating on a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which she's already, she's already lost the power to choose whether she will eat or not. I was way beyond that. I had no choice. I had no choice. I wanted to stop. I couldn't stop. And the mental, the physical craving, the mental twist, the mental obsession would always bring me back to eating. Always bring me back to eating. I could not stop. And so it's saying the non-spiritual basis is not going to help me. Again, only the spiritual basis. And then on page 60, it says on that basis, the basis of self-will, which is not the spiritual basis, is the opposite of the spiritual basis. The basis of self-sufficiency, the basis of self-reliance, the basis of playing God. I'm almost always going to be in collision with somebody or something. And what does that collision do? It drives me back to the food because I can't tolerate that intolerable situation. I can't. I can't accept it. I don't like it. My life's not working. Let me find ease and comfort in something. And then we will go a little further on this page. It's on page 60 says, maybe besides self-sufficiency, maybe besides self-will, running our lives ourselves, we can try a different basis, the basis of trusting God and relying on God. The choices are always the same. The book is very, very, tries to, you know, Bill W., when he wrote it, he wrote it, a bunch of different ways, but he's basically trying to tell me, choose God and have a better way of life or a different way of life or something different, something new, something not in the suffering. Yeah, the pain's still going to be there. Life is painful. Or stay in it. Stay in this, this, you know, this thing that doesn't work, this thing where the wheels come off. So just a couple more things in these pages. Um, when I look at, it says on the bottom of 44, if I could just stop eating by thinking my way into it or having a conviction that I have to stop eating, I would have recovered way before I did, way before I did. But the wishing, right, there's, there's no there's no amount of wishing and desire that's ever going to bring me there on my own if, if my human resources aren't sufficient. But I want to get to that paragraph, page 45. Lack of power was my dilemma, right? 
lack of power. I didn't have the power to change my life. I definitely didn't have the power to stop eating, but I also didn't have the power to change my life. I didn't have the power to apply to many of the things I was trying to apply my power to and change them. And all I got was constant disappointment and then eventually incomprehensible demoralization. But the other thing that can happen, and I'm going to say something radical here, the other thing that can happen when we get into the rooms and we don't have a spiritual basis of life and we think this program is about a physical achievement and a physical recovery, lack of dilemma became my power. Because when I got abstinent, one of the things I got to see in really looking at my powerlessness and my insanity over food is when I was no longer fighting the food, but it was still about my physical recovery. And all of a sudden, there was not that angst about food, but there wasn't that spiritual basis of life. And guess who was still in charge of me? It was me. And I'm not going to go into them necessarily, but in some step work in recent years, I got to really see that Worshiping a God of abstinence is not living on a spiritual basis. And for me, that's true. That may not be true for everybody, and I may have said that in a way that seems odd. But lack of dilemma became my power, and it backfired. And it, and it didn't bring me back into the food, but I believe spiritual relapse, and I won't even call it spiritual relapse, because if you never really had a spiritual awakening, which at the point I hadn't had, then you know, spiritual basis of life came to came alive for me and I understood it better after many years of abstinence and I'm grateful for that. Um, so we agnostics, now I'm, I'm going to get a little less text focused and just conversational about how I see pages 46 through the end of the chapter telling me that I have to lay aside my prejudice, my previous thoughts. And I believe that's the key to a spiritual basis of life. Because when we look at to be doomed to, a, uh, to uh, you know, blot out the consciousness of my intolerable situation or accept spiritual help, and I look at that choice, and I look at being doomed to a compulsive overeating death or living on a spiritual basis, we're finding a spiritual basis of life or that alternative of else, which scares me. What really scared, and, and, and you would think like anybody in the right mind would choose the spiritual basis of life, but the or else scared me. Why did it scare me? Well, because I came in here with a view of God that probably the best word I can describe is antipathy. Um, you know, suspect, disappointment, uh, God that uh, maybe forgot me, maybe pushed me aside for others. Um, I had this view of God where I felt abandoned. I felt neglected. By God. I felt that um, because the God of my understanding at that point was a God that provided for my needs, 
I thought that meant he was the Santa Claus God and he would provide for the needs I wanted, perhaps not the needs that were best for me. And so that wasn't a great alternative for me. They're not, that's not always an alternative, a great alternative to states, and it wasn't for me. And I think it's ironic that I'm sitting here today talking to you about Lee Agnostics because through my recovery, early in recovery, I really wasn't introduced to the book. It didn't, it just didn't happen for me that way. And after being introduced to the book and kind of reading about steel girders, prosaic steel girders and the Wright brothers and, you know, uh, theological arguments. And uh, I really didn't think we agnostics was speaking to me. And today I realize what we agnostics is saying to me is push aside what you think you know. Change your point of view. And it says that very clearly. It's just I never heard that message so personally like I do now. Um, be open-minded. And that, of course, gets us to the idea of the set-aside prayer. And, you know, I used to think that was a cute little prayer. Today it's come to life for me, and I realize it's speaking to me because what I think I know is not always helpful to me. What I think I know is not always the fact. And it's asking me to lay aside what I think I know. It doesn't ask me to abandon it. It doesn't ask me to totally, you know, um, uh, obliterate all my thoughts. It just asks me to set them aside. The book is very gentle. I love how Bill still is just very gentle in this direction. Lay it aside, and maybe that rigorous honesty the book talks about, see the truth. Maybe look for the truth. Maybe look for the facts. Maybe think, not just think honestly, but want the truth. Want to see the truth and be diligent in that. I mean, how many times, if you follow page 46 to the end of the book, there's always the word reason. Reason is always coming up, talking to me about my reason, my reasoning. My reasoning was that life wasn't going the way it was going, and the only place I could find solace was in the only thing that didn't give me an argument or a disappointment or a hurt or a threat, and that was food. That was kind of the basis of my thinking at that point. Um, today I realized that you know, as a mother, and you'll hear me whenever I tell my stories or talk that spiritual basis of life is most challenging in being a parent, in my opinion. Um, but when I'm, I have this vision, I'm not carrying God's vision, but all of a sudden I have my vision of the way something is supposed to be for one of my children. Um, I'm just being asked to set that aside set that aside, because if I could set that aside, then perhaps it could be a problem, but it's not my problem. You know, set that aside. Um, so it says on 48, food became the great persuader, right? Alcohol, it says, became the great persuader. Food became the great persuader. 
And um, what did it do? Well, it kept trying to get me to gather, you know, gather the ideas that maybe there was a different way. Maybe the way, you know, I, I managing my own life wasn't working. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. The weight was a sign that it wasn't working. My marriage at the time was a sign that it wasn't working. Um, kind of like Fred and more about alcoholism, I looked great on paper. If you would have seen me, um, you know, if you would have known about me, not seen me, but if you would have known about me, everything on paper looked great. You know, great job, great husband, great, you know, accomplishments, lots of greatness which is, you know, lower, lower, lower case G. Um, but the truth was that I was suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience could conquer. And this book tells me that I have to have an attitude to live on that spiritual basis, and that attitude involves being open-minded. Practicing humility. Bill uses it also on the bottom of page 13. I mean, we're just reminded over and over again in, in the 10th step. We're just reminded of what this attitude is that's the key to living on a spiritual basis. So the rest of this chapter is talking about setting aside reason. reason. And I was one of those people that came in here and I was suspect of the people who seemed to be content. Or happy, joyous, and free. I was suspect of them. But on the bottom of 50, it says that you declare that since you've come to believe in a power greater than yourself and to take a certain attitude and do certain simple things, that you had a revolutionary change in your way of living and thinking. And you told me that in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of your own human sources, you found a new power, peace, and happiness. A sense of direction flowed into you after you met those requirements, those principles, and practicing these principles in your affairs. Like, I hear this on the meetings. You hear this on the meetings. And I, I suggest that if you're, you're new in the program and you haven't even gotten into step two, or like me, it's uncomfortable for you. Listen to the people that are saying the spiritual basis of life works for them or that the God choice works for them. Listen to their changes that have come over them. The presence of God, the consciousness of the presence of God. You know, when I read that today, I crave it and I work toward it. And it's one of my objectives, my spiritual objectives. When I first heard it, I thought that perhaps this cult-like approach to recovery was never going to work for me. That's because I didn't have a God in my understanding. And if you're new, be patient. That's not unconquerable. It's just not something you have to do right now. Just stay in the moment. Stay wherever you are. So. Changing our point of view. It talks about that on page 52. And, of course, many people in the book are familiar with the bedevilments. 
And it talks about these situations on page 52 that we can have trouble with personal relationships, that we can't control our emotional nature, that we're prey to misery and depression. I have to remember that was pitiful. That was the description of my life when I came in here. But today, without God, it's the description of my life again. It can be the description of my life again in a heartbeat. If I leave this meeting today at 10 a.m. Eastern time and something happens to destroy my vision or there's some interruption or some interference with the way I've, you know, perceived my life is supposed to go today, I can be right back here. I can be right back here. And that's why the attitude, changing my point of view, can I look at, can I look at this differently? Can I in the moment do what it says on page 53? Acknowledge that God is everything, and if he's everything, he's in this moment of disappointment, of grief, of sadness. Um, so there's those choices again. Page 53, God is everything or God is nothing. Could I change my point of view in that God being everything doesn't mean I have to be a person who is in conscious contact with God every second of the day. If that were possible, uh, I think I would be God. I just don't think it's possible. I think it's what we strive for, what I strive for. Um, and of course, you know, some of my favorite speakers on the circuit talk about, you know, God can only be everything in the moment I'm in, in the moment where I acknowledge that God is everything. There, you know, life happens. We're doing different things. We're, you know, with people. We're, you know, but bringing God into any moment we're in is, is always going to give us ease and comfort we sought and food. The spirit seeks peace, not necessarily ease and comfort, but peace. And peace versus ease and comfort, peace is more everlasting and and so much so much more resourceful in that way. Like so much more sustaining in that. So um so step two is asking me to set this reason aside, this logic, this thought process. Leah talked about that a little bit in the beginning, you know, our thoughts. Um, and when you're a pretty, you know, I'm an, e I'm an addict, so my ego is, is quite, you know, it's quite infected. And um, it's not always easy to set aside what I think. It's not always easy, whether it's a given day or, or back when, you know, to, to, look at, to look at the insanity with food when I was abstinent, to see that, you know, I can be abstinent and die an alcoholic-style death if I'm still in charge of what's going on in my life. And to me, that's, that's again, the choice. Do I want to rely on self? Or do I want to rely on God? And I don't, you know, just this would be just a side note. One of the things I've gotten to see, and especially in the last 
five or six years is that abstinence became a way of life for me and it was a great alternative to the way I was living. However, it's a byproduct of, it's a true byproduct of spirituality. And not that we don't need to, when we first come in here, try to latch on to a different way of looking at food and, and, and try to, you know, have something that is going to be um, more healthful and helpful to us in our way of living and eating. But today I realized that I can't be in charge of my food. I need God to make the right choices. And while I have a food plan and while I have, you know, a, a, a regimen that I know is helpful and helpful to me, um, the voices can still carry on in my head about following that. I need God to involve God in that to have release from it and have neutrality, true neutrality, true neutrality, um, not just absence of the craving, true neutrality. So. Let me just check my time here. Um, Leah, if I'm right, I have about 10 more minutes. Is that right? Sure, Terry. Okay. All right. So, um, so step one really gets me to see that I'm powerless in step two is telling me about my need for power and that I'm not it. That if I can set aside the power that I've been using, I can set aside the power that I've been relying on, which is my own. Like that's how it was working for me. So on page 60 in the book, if I'm convinced that I lack this power. And step two tells me I have a need for power and I have access to that power. On page, just jump back real quick to page 55. Page 55 tells me, you know, that consciousness of the presence of God that you all talked about is achievable if I go within, deep down inside, deep down inside of every one of us is the fundamental idea of God deep down inside. And to me, that's just, these are all references to what meditation is about and prayer is about. All references to that. You know, um, and I can go deep down inside any second of the day. Is it always going to, you know, am I going to levitate? Like, that's not going to happen. Um, it's just that I, I, I know that in my disease, that's a concept that would have totally been just too lunar for me to even think about. But today I realize without that effort, without that need for God, that my life would have no peace. It would just be in shambles, no matter how great it is. You know, like I said, it could look great on paper. <laughs> my life does look really good on paper. Today. <laughs> you know, I'm retired. My husband and I are living you know, in a place that we really enjoy being in. Um, 
but I could still be suffering. I could still be suffering. Pain happens, you know, disappointment, loss, pain happens. Um, but going deep down inside to understand that I'm never alone, then it's pain, not suffering. It's not suffering. So, um, but step one tells me I'm powerless and I can't manage my life, right? Not end, but I can't manage my life. I, I don't, I'm not good at managing my life. When I tried to manage my life, not only did I show it in my body, but more so it's just totally demoralized. Totally, totally not a story that um, one would want to follow. And nobody was going to change that, especially me. You know, those deep moral convictions didn't matter. No matter how great the necessity or the wish, it doesn't change. And then step two tells me God could and would if you were thought, if I could change that attitude. And then it says being convinced, we're at step three, convinced of what? Convinced that I can't, that I, as much as I want to, I can't. But the first requirement for step three is also being convinced that I can't run my life on my own, that I'm going to fail every time. Every time I'm going to fail. Um, you don't need to go through the next few pages, but you kind of know the next few pages, if you're familiar with the book, talk about how I set myself, how, how I set my life up to suit myself, and it backfires every time. And sometimes I'm really, you know, sweet about that, and it still backfires. And sometimes I'm not so sweet about that, and it's definitely going to backfire. But I want to get to um, page 62 because over and over again, up until this point in these pages, the book is telling me that I can't play God. When I play God, I'm not just 220 pounds. I'm not just, you know, totally obsessing about the mistake I think one of my kids made or the choices that are disappointing to me or um, it just doesn't work. So if it doesn't work, What's my choice to be? So I make a decision. I make a decision. And I, you know, I feel like sometimes this decision happens moment by moment. You know, changing positions with God is a moment by moment decision sometimes because if you're like me, it's comfortable sometimes to navigate your life without God to just kind of get in there and, you know, start making plans and decisions. And and some of them are, you know, I mean, you're sitting in the grocery store, you're making decisions, you're, you know, you're out in life making decisions. Um, the other day I was on a meeting and then there was, there was a speaker and uh, I found myself thinking about the new doctor I'm going to go to. And I realized, I couldn't be in the moment I was in because I was too worried about the future. And if we can just bring God into the moment we're in, we don't worry about the future. We're present. We're where we are. And this, you know, third step choice 
It's just that. Like letting God be God. Switching positions. Letting God take care of that. You know, one of the things I heard recently was um, instead of being in my head about a problem, how about saying to myself, I wonder how this is going to work out and leave it at that. Um, so anyway, let me just check my time. Okay. So um, just getting to, uh, to some of the things I wanted to say about Chapter 5. Um, in, uh, in this, the bottom of page 62, in the original manuscript that uh, was shared with me recent, a few years ago, um, Bill wrote after, because he, he wrote it in a different tense, but it said, you know, he is the principal, we are his agents. It read, he is your father and you are his child, because he wrote it in a different tense. And right after that, he wrote, get this simple relationship straight. And a lot of people didn't appreciate and wanted more diplomacy in the book, so things like that were, you know, were, strict, were, uh, were stricken. And, but I need that. I need that kind of direction because I don't always get that simple relationship straight. I certainly didn't even comprehend it in my disease. But during the course of these many years that I've been in the room, that's what I feel like this road is getting me to, getting that simple relationship straight. It's a simple relationship. Father, child, principal, agent, actor, director, simple relationships, but mostly father, child, getting that simple relationship straight. Um, in, uh, when we say that, when it, on the next page, when it talks about the third step prayer, it says, um, it says, there it is, yeah. We found it desirable to take this third step, make this third step decision with an understanding person such as our spouse, but it's better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. But I like that meeting God because I think that's what happens for me. I need to meet God in my head. I need to meet God. I, meet, I was meeting God when this step first came alive for me. But I actually realized what it says on page 60, self-sufficiency didn't work. It didn't work. Uh, I said 60, but I meant 68. Um, you know, it didn't go far enough. It didn't go far enough. It wasn't going to solve my fear problem. And what's my fear problem? Most of me, my fear problem is that I'm not paying God well, that I'm not doing it correctly, you know. And then, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be doing that anyway. Like the inventory then shows me, like, I'm not supposed to be doing that anyway. So um, I think, you know, one of the things about Chapter 5 and in inventory that I've learned is the way of life. And we could obviously, that's a whole, you know, another path to go down. And I just want to mention before I close that um, if you look at the entire pages of inventory, it's a constant God-guided mission. It's not a project. It's a God-guided spiritual effort. And it says, you know, tons of times, we ask God, we let God, 
We're convinced God can. We let him take us to better things. You know, like the whole purpose of all of this is to live on a spiritual basis. And the best way to do that is to take particularly our step work, particularly our spiritual development, and ask for help. But then it just widens open to everything in life that we do. And I, 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 I just want to make this clear. I thank Leah for the opportunity to talk this morning. And I'm always sincere when I say that because I got to kind of reflect on this book, particularly in the last few days in these chapters, and really understand what they mean to me. And I'm always not very good at relaying that, so I, uh, I apologize in advance for any confusion, but I'd love to talk to you one-on-one to, to go deeper. Um, but, but the truth is that I'm just so convinced today that taking that third step and then doing what I need to to see where self-reliance is creeping in and getting back on track to who, you know, who is the father and who is the child is the mainstay of my life. Today I know it's the most important thing without exception. It is absolutely the most important thing without exception, my spiritual development, my spirit living on a spiritual basis. So I think with that, I'm going to close, and I think I'm probably being on time anyway. But thank you very much. Thank you, Terry, for this beautiful presentation this morning. Instructive, thorough, and very inspiring. Thank you so very much. Terry's presentation, the share ID for this morning, 20,021. That's 20021. Terry's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so please stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to a question-answer segment. You can pose a question to Terry, questions only, by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Loretta H., Gotcha, Loretta. Hello. Jack W. Jack W. Wendy B. Wendy B. Elise S. Elise S. (coughs) Mary F. Mary F. Somebody Barbara P. Yeah, Barbara P. Thank you, Barbara. Anyone else in this round, star one to unmute. Okay. I have on this list Loretta H., Jack W., Wendy B., Elise S., Mary F., and Barbara P. Everyone, please mute except for Loretta H. Go ahead, please, Loretta. Good morning, Leah, and good morning, Terry. Thank you so much for digesting um, your relationship with God. And I just want to know where you found the 
uh, father and the word straight um, and where you found that um, writing of bills. Thank you. Okay. Um, Loretta, that actually, there was a book circulated at a meeting I attended, and I believe there's a book of the original manuscript um, that's been published and actually shows like the redlining and the actual typing that was done of the first manuscript. I, I That's as much as I know about it, though. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Loretta. And Jack W., your turn to pose a question. Good morning. <clears throat> Jack W., compulsive overeater in Florida. Thank you, Ms. Leia, for your service. And, and Terry, also thank you so much for your uh, sharing your spiritual experience with us this morning. <clears throat> I really picked up on worship, worshiping a God of abstinence, that it became a dilemma. And then after years, many years of abstinence, your spiritual life really came alive for you. So I guess my question is, um, it talks about in the big book, we ask God for an inspiration or an intuitive thought or decision, I guess, during our practice of quiet time and meditation. Is that, <clears throat> maybe I'm overthinking it, is that where we try to, over the practice, uh, discern a quiet voice or do you take notes on thoughts for directions for your day um, my mind just is like a hamster on a wheel a lot of times until I recognize it and then I get into I just be paying attention to my breath and I'm and I put in the discipline of setting my timer and doing the action but I guess I'm just wanting to get the best bang for my buck, if you know what I mean. And I feel like I'm powerless over the outcome, but I would just like to hear more of your experience if that's a, an okay request. Thank you. Sure. Um, Jack, I, 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 like you, too, can be a hamster in a wheel. Um, the one thing I've really learned that's kind of like the more broad answer to that is I can ask God for anything and if I feel you know I don't believe God judges our effort to to pray and meditate I think um, I don't think there's any you know disappointment there but I think we can ask God if we're looking for a deeper way to do it I think we can ask God you know I know that I got my answer you know my prayer life and my meditation life today includes music and that that's all I'm going to say about that. The details are, you know, don't need to be explained. But um, I really, I got that from asking God for help. You know, like you, I, I wanted to do it better or differently or more, you know, more fruitfully. And I think the key is just, just plainly, simply, and quietly to ask God. You know, that's step 11. To me, step 11 which is what you're trying to work when you're praying and meditating, really is telling us that we can ask for help even with step 11. We can pray and meditate to God about help with step 11. So I could talk to you more specifically about what I do and the things that I've learned, but 
I really think it's, I think each of us finds our rhythm with God and our, you know, our communication with God. Um, it's all different, you know, it's very different. But anyway, my number will be um, shared at the end. Thanks. Thank you. I just wanted to share that I really feel like God spoke through you, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Jack W. Wendy B., your turn to pose a question. Good morning. This is Wendy B. in Arizona, and thank you so much for your for your clarity and insight um, and sharing it. Um, so my question is, um, could you just elaborate a little more on what it looks like for you in the moment of, um, you know, some circumstance happening that's causing you, you know, to be unsettled? Um, are you able to change your point of view to be one of um, acceptance in that moment, or is it still a process of pausing and doing a 10-step? Thank you. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> um, so recently, uh, a, uh, a person who my husband and I are familiar with um, I'm not on social media, but my husband is on social media and he learns things instantly and broadcasts them to me. And it was not so pleasant news that someone that we had known had been in a tragic accident. And um, at the moment my husband said it, I don't know why, but I was able to go immediately to God, immediately to God and just, you know, think of that person and, 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 and not my sadness and not my disappointment and that sort of thing. And to just focus on that person and, you know, what was happening with them and their family. Um, and then there are the moments that doesn't happen. Like um, when my daughter's mail comes and I, you know, she's going through some financial uh, problems right now and the mail comes and I that it might be a notice of uh, a not-so-pleasant announcement that her car insurance may be canceled. And uh, God doesn't come into that moment, and I start getting into my head about how I should handle this, but, and I don't even know what's in the envelope. So, um, Wendy, I don't, I'm using two very real-life examples to show you that, um, no, it doesn't always happen to me in the moment. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And then, for instance, the, uh, the latter example that I gave with my daughter, you know, eventually after sitting and kind of going through and inventorying, um, you know, seeing that I have a vision of what my daughter's life is supposed to look like and when it doesn't happen, um, I start getting into what we know will eventually lead to inventory. Step 10 tells us, carry the vision of God's will. And then I have to say, wait a minute, okay, if I'm living in God's will, it's not my problem. And it is a problem, but it's not my problem. And I don't have to resolve it because I'm the child. So those kinds of thinking, not that that's exactly what happens. But I guess your question is, yeah, you know, does it come into a 10th step? Does it go there? Yeah, sure, it can. Uh, and then there are times, and so as long as I write 10th and 11th, 10 and 11th are telling me to continue to practice and improve that process. And sometimes, you know, it's spot on, 
and sometimes it's not. Um, and I could talk to you more about that, but I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Wendy B. Elise S., your turn. Star one to unmute Elise. Good morning. My name is Elise S. from Florida, Florida, and I have not been on OA conversations or talk for a long time. And I don't ask me why, but I guess in the past couple of months, I wound up getting COVID twice in the past two years and have long haul COVID. And so eating is like whatever's there I eat. And when I go to the grocery store, I try to put back things that I know I shouldn't eat. So we're so glad you're here. Would you like to? And we're so glad you're here. Welcome home. Would you you like to pose a question to our speaker, Terry, this morning? This is the format right now, pose questions. The format is when you go to the grocery store, how do you constantly think to yourself, no, I can't buy that because if I buy that, I'll eat it. And if I eat it, then I gain more weight. I'm 5'2 and weigh over close to 250 pounds, and I'm not healthy. So how do you decide on how to choose what you buy when you go to the grocery store? Because if it isn't in your house, you can't eat it. Great question. Thank you. So, Elise, um, I can't choose, especially, I mean, I don't know where... I don't know if you've made a decision to work these steps or you've already worked the steps, so that kind of would be important. But in my disease, I can't decide. When I'm powerless, you know, at at that state of powerlessness and that state of unreasonableness, I can't decide. I'm always going to, you know, make decisions that aren't always the best. And if I think I'm making a decision that's the best, the point is I'm usually lying to myself about what I'm going to do with it or how I'm going to eat it, or whatever. It just, just gets real insane with me with food. I can't. And that's why I would encourage you. I mean, I don't know if you have intentions of, of practicing or working these steps, or you're doing it, or you're in the process of working with someone to guide you through the work. But because I can't, I can't tell you how to stop. Um, I can only say that, you know, you're here, having this conversation again because something wants you to get well. Something wants you not to have that dilemma in the grocery store. Something wants you to have peace. So I would just encourage you to just keep coming back and consider consider living on a spiritual basis by getting into the, the step work. I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Elise, for your question. Mary F., your turn. Good morning. This is Mary F. calling from Virginia. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I was wondering um, if you could talk, Terry, a little bit more about God-reliance versus self-reliance. You know, I have my morning prayer every morning, and um, many times it's just a struggle not to play God. 
And um, if you could talk about that process, um, that would be great. Thank you. Well, I'll try to, um, Mary, that, that's the crux of the problem, right? It's the crux mm-hmm. of the whole problem. It, it really is. And um, see, I think acknowledging that is why we need to take step three. Like once we acknowledge those pages 60 through 63, you know, I can use those pages to apply whatever it is I'm trying to control. Whatever it is I'm obsessing over, whatever it is that's on my mind, I can use those pages. I use I can use the doctor's opinion for whatever's on my mind. Um, you know, those pages kind of help me rationalize. You know, where is it? Where is it that I'm I'm focusing on how somebody should be doing something the way I'd like them to do it? You know, where is it that I'm looking for an outcome that um, I'm trying to get? You know all of the all the players in line to make that outcome happen. You know, someone said that, uh, someone I listen to regularly says, you know, we're not in the outcome business. And often that's where my head is when I'm in self-reliance. I'm in the outcome business. And eventually where that takes me is to the business of inventory. Then I'm, you know, I'm in the resentment business. So trying to stay out of the resentment business happens, you know, when I'm, trying to rely on God rather than myself. And I kind of feel like we could go in circles and I might be repeating some of the things I said, but, um, you know, it's not a process. It's a way of life. And, you know, it's what we, it's, it's, you know, food is a symptom, right? The problem is self-reliance, in my opinion, self-centeredness, self-will. Um, so, you know, just keep doing what you're doing to get closer to God. And eventually the realization of how to do that better will occur to you. Like it's occurring to me as we speak. So that's all. I hope that's helpful, Mary. Thank you, Mary F. Barbara P. Your turn. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Terry, and thank you so much. What a powerful presentation. I got so much. Um, question for you about when you work with sponsees, and if you have someone who comes with a deep faith, deep, deep faith, but is not you know, connecting in a way that faith isn't helping them when it comes to food and stopping. Um, and then, on the contrary, when you work with someone who is um, deep-rooted atheist, deep beliefs in atheism, do you work differently or how do you find your most effective with each of those sponsees? Thanks. Okay, well that's an interesting one, Barbara. Um I really think that for those who are swayed a certain way in their understanding of God, um and I think what I heard you say is, you know, it's not working. I mean that's what that's what we agnostics tells us to do, set aside what we think we know. And those with certain commitments to different religions or different faiths, um, perhaps it's saying that to them. I mean, I believe it's saying that to them, you know, and that's kind of how I approach it. Like, it doesn't say abolish what you think. It doesn't say, you know, take all the thoughts you have and put them in an incinerator. It says just set them aside. Just, you know, could you look at it a different way? Could it be helpful? I mean, those are the 
kinds of things I find myself saying to someone who's who has difficulties because of a a, a religious conviction or a, a faith that you know can't say I've come across great obstacles with that, but you know certain beliefs and doctrines. Um, at the same time, while I've never sponsored someone who's a professed atheist, it would be the same thing. And I think with an atheist, the main thing would be that, um, you know, step two doesn't tell us that we have to understand God. It says that we have to understand our need for God. You know, we have a need for God and we can get that. It doesn't have to be on anybody's terms. However, having a personal relationship with a power, you know, begs for some some prayer and, and consideration. And that's probably what I would, you know, obviously prayer in, in the sense that not that they're praying to something, but asking for help or seeking help or knowing, first acknowledging the need for help. And that's like, that's, that's what's key. Um, that's a pretty good question. I don't know if I really can say everything I'd have to gather more thoughts about that but you know to me again I love the gentleness of just setting aside setting aside what we think we know hope that's helpful Barbara thank you Barbara we have time for a few more questions if you'd like to pose a question this morning star one to unmute Pete B hey Pete Star one to unmute. Great opportunity to pose questions. Um, Royce V. Lori C. No, Royce. Like Royce. Royce. Gotcha, Royce. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Morazi. I didn't catch that. Morazi. Morazi. Gotcha, Mora. Anyone else? Surrey C. Okay, let's go with these. Thank you. Let's start off with Pete B. Thanks, Leah, for your service. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Thank you, Terry, for your presentation. It was deep and heavy and gave me a lot to think about. My question has to do with 10, which says our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Can you describe how your understanding and effectiveness has has um, changed from when you first started to where you are now. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Pete. Good to hear you. Uh, yeah, my understanding and effectiveness, that's a, so broad. But, yeah, um, so I believe I understand. I'm going to go to that page just because I need to go to that page. Yeah, we grow in understanding and effectiveness. Um, my understanding of God at the beginning was extremely shallow. It was very tainted. It was very, you know, uh, my effectiveness was pretty weak, considering that my understanding of God was pretty weak and 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 uh, and false. Um, today, 
growing in understanding and effectiveness includes those that very thing. I find that, you know, God, the God of my understanding today isn't the God of my understanding three weeks ago. You know, and my need for God, as I talked about earlier, grows. But I, I guess, you know, it's a pretty broad question. I'm not sure I can answer it in a couple of sentences. I'll just say that when you come in here and you're battered by food and you're, and you're, you know, you're, you're just trying to blot out that intolerable situation, that um, there's no understanding or effectiveness that can even occur to change that. And today that continues to grow. I mean, my understanding, not it's not understanding who I am, but what I'm not and what God is. And the effectiveness, in my opinion, just happens from there as long as I have, you know, as long as I have these principles in my life and want to keep practicing these principles in my life. I mean, to me, that's the numbers fall off. The numbers fall off of these steps, and it's about, you know, how effective am I being in my life with regard to hope and, and admission and, you know, brotherly love and, and, the, and, and the absolutes. I mean, even though we don't necessarily have them in our books, I mean, you know, the absolutes, uh, especially honesty. So um, could have a whole other conversation about that, but I appreciate the question, and I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good one. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Royce, C, your turn. Good morning, everybody. Um, this is Royce Ann B. from New Orleans. Um, I'm recovering compulsive over year. And first, thank you for that beautiful share. I only caught the last part of it, but I'm going to go listen to it as soon as this is, as it hits the 9 o'clock hour. Um, my question was, um, you said that you pray through music, and I was wondering... Um, and you don't have to answer this because um, you can take the fifth on it totally, but do you ever feel a strong connection and consider it prayer when you're listening to music, just listening, or do you talk to God, or do you do both? Um, it's just something I'm, um, that's really getting my attention lately. Thanks. Yeah, um, Royce, I'll just answer it as short as possible because I could go long on that. Um, it occurred to me that I needed to include, or, or it didn't occur to me, I prayed for it, and the answer came to me, that the presence of God for me was in music. I just, you know, I just it touches my soul. Music touches my soul. And um, having been a person who enjoys music that is often written for God, to God, um, that's what I use a lot in my meditation because it's prayer for me and God speaks to me through it and I speak to him through it. So um, without sounding too ritualistic uh, about how I do it, um, I just opened myself up to what God would want for me to have a deeper experience with him. And the idea came when someone said one day, you know, meditation can include whatever it is that touches your soul, whatever it is that touches a chord in you that might be God. And so I believe it came from him, and I use it in a variety of ways today during my quiet time. Thank you, Royce, for your question. Maura Z, your turn. Good morning, Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service, and thank you, Terry, for 
your share this morning. Um, I've had a conversation with my sponsor, and we agree on a particular tack to take for taking step seven, which I've just done, um, or I'm working through. And um, something was mentioned at a meeting the other day, um, a face-to-face meeting locally here, that because we read the step in the meeting, that um, contradicted um, what I believe. And my question, therefore, is to you. When it comes to taking step seven, am I to simply pray for my defects to be removed and not do anything about it? Or, as I believe, I'm supposed to behave in a manner that God that I'm telling God in such a way that I am not just asking for him to remove the defect, but I'm also working. So in other words, I don't actively go out and get angry or rageful that I know that if I'm about to do something in that respect, that I hold back and I ask God, please take this from me now and, and not act in that way. And I hope that question makes sense. And I thank you for your answer. Sure. Hi, Maura. It's good to hear you. Um, the thing that comes to mind when you say that is, you know, to me, step six and seven are, you know, that that parallelism to one, right? We're powerless over our defects. If I could zap, I I can't stop myself from, from you know, relying on myself any more than I can stop myself from eating, right? And often the the resentments and the and the fears and and whatnot are the things that block me from God. So when I get to six and seven, I know that I can see there's been objectionable behavior, but I also can see that I was powerless over to do it any differently. And now I realize I'm powerless over to change it going forward. So I go to God and say, you know, just take, take it, take whatever it is that you think needs to be taken. And, you know, and I, and I'm ready because these things have cost me way more than they benefited me. But by the time I've gotten to six and seven, I understand that inventory is a way of life. I understand that I'm, I haven't maybe gotten to 10, but I understand that, you know, I have to keep looking at this, these, these ways in which I'm blocked from God. So I just think like, you know, in my personal opinion is I can't do anything about six and seven, but surrender completely. Bill says, you know, take my sins away, root and branch. Like, I can't do that. I have to, you know, I'm ready to do that. I humbly ask him to do that because I realize I have no power to do that. So um, those are the thoughts that came to me, and I know I'm not using your words specifically or your question, but I hope that kind of clears up what my response to that is. Thank you, Maura Z, for your question. Suri C, your turn. Um, hi. First of all, thank you so much for your share. Um, definitely changing um, and stirring things up. Uh, my question to you is, um, how do you... How do you push past the points where the choices are paralyzing. Um, 
um, or how do you support a sponsor, a sponsee um, during during those moments where, you know, where there's a relapse in the four, like, you know, coming at them. Thank you. Sure. Um, I think I think what you're asking is how to support a sponsee who's relapsed. I didn't understand the first part. There's a first part. Did I get the Did I get the gist of that right? So I, I guess part of the first part was um, when, in general, when there's just um, that moment where it's overwhelming and how do you get to that God choice, like that to that to sort of how do you remind yourself to turn it over to God? Um, and I guess the second part was, yeah, you picked up on it, um, not stepping into relapse. Okay. So, um, I don't always get to that moment right away. (laughs) If I led you to believe I do, um, it's a fallacy. I, 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 that's my goal, you know, and when I achieve that, I, I'll be dead, you know, because I, I won't be human, um. So, yeah, my goal is to, to practice that, to practice that. Like I said, when, you know, my husband gave me that news that someone we loved, someone we knew well was in a tragic accident, you know, I immediately want to go to how terrible that is and how bad for me that I'm not going to get to see them anymore. And, they're, you know, going to God was a whole different experience for that. Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't always happen, but if we keep practicing it, it could happen more regularly, and that's the goal, right? That's the goal. The only time that God can be everything is the moment I bring God into, and so that's the goal. So that's the goal, and, you know, we could talk more specifically about, you know, examples of that. Um, so just wanted to bring my, my humanness into that, um, and as far as, you know, relapse and you know, working with someone and, you know, I mean, the book nowhere says, like, discourage or, you know, don't work with someone because they're in relapse or it does say if, you know, people don't want the answer, if people don't want to do this. I mean, on the one page it says, you know, those who cannot or will not. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are we working with a cannot or a will not? Because, I think all of us are cannot, but if there's an intentional will not, then, you know, was the relapse because they, you know, that's the life they prefer is that, you know, they think they're, they think their eating life is going to, you know, be better for them. I mean, you know, it's, it's a pretty big question and I'm sure everybody would answer it differently, but for me, that's kind of where I sit on it today. Um, I want to be helpful and sometimes, you know, being helpful to someone when they've relapsed is realizing that you may not be the one to help them. And that's why we can't do step 12 without step 11. Um, so I could talk to you about that more, and I hope that little bit is helpful. Thank you, Suri C., for the question. We have time for one more. Is there anyone else with something on their mind? Questions only. Star one, ton mute. Otherwise, we will close. Going once, twice, 
and three times I'll take that as a no. All right. Well, thank you to those who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Terry, for this powerful and helpful presentation this morning, another gem for the archives. We appreciate you spending time with us this morning. Once again, the share ID for today, 20,021. That's 20021. And we're going to close now from page 164 from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.